Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I am delighted to welcome to the program my colleague and my friend and my brother, the Reverend Dr. Frederick Douglas Haynes III. Freddie, good to have you with me. Man, George, I am honored, and it's always a pleasure uh, not only to uh, engage in fellowship with you, uh, but also uh, to just benefit and be blessed by your amazing ministry. I was telling someone the other day uh, that there have been many times I've been discouraged uh, trying to do the work we do, uh, and then I think about George Mason, and I get encouraged, and oh. so I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. It's been one of the great privileges of our years, I think, together in, in Dallas that we've come to know one another and to realize that um, we don't have to work at this alone. We can we can find ways together and we can talk more about that later. Uh, yeah. I, I actually think that um, this is a good time for our conversation because we're, we're coming up on Martin Luther King weekend, uh, celebrating his birthday, of course, on Monday, the uh, 17th of January. And uh, you and I have had uh, an ongoing conversation uh, that has taken place around this weekend uh, right. because we, we've sort of shared an idea of, about how poorly America has come to observe this holiday. Uh, say some say some more about your take on that. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm, I'm convinced if Dr. King uh, were to come back uh, in flesh uh, and observe the celebrations, uh, he would wonder, okay, well, who are they talking about? Because this <laughs> does not uh, reflect me. I think that he's been victimized by identity theft. Uh, Vincent Harding, uh, who was partnering with King in his work and wrote uh, the great speech of uh, April 4th, 1967, about his declaration against the war in Vietnam, uh, said, he wrote a book and talked about King as the inconvenient hero. He does a riff on uh, a poem uh, that was written by another author whose name escapes me right now, but Harding says uh, that King, we have made him convenient. Uh, he's a hero who we can build a statue to. He's a hero uh, who suffers from identity theft, as it were. And so uh, he is our convenient hero. And the way we observe the holiday with the overemphasis on I have a dream. Uh, and of course, we see uh, those on the right uh, who love to rush to justify their anti-affirmative action uh, policies uh, by saying, well, God, Dr. King wanted us to uh, judge people by the uh, content of their character, not the color of their skin. And so, so King has been so uh, manipulated, uh, his legacy has been so distorted that it shows up uh, on the holiday. I don't even want to uh, offend people, but uh, one of the things we love to say, it's not a day off, it's a day on. And of course, what do we do? We engage in acts of charitable service. And that's nice. That's nice. But uh, if we're honest, King was not engaging in acts of charitable service. He was changing systems that necessitated 
our acts of charitable service. And so, so even when we say it's a day on and not a day off and we, we feed the hungry, all of that is nice. But, but King, uh, again, if he were to come back, he would say, I was trying to make sure people were not hungry. And so I think it's just a sad reflection uh, that in many instances, I saw this today, uh, that made me think of uh, our conversation uh, uh, early this morning on CBS, CBS Morning News, uh, Plessy, uh, who was in the lawsuit, Plessy versus Ferguson, uh, that eventuated in the legalizing of what? Uh, segregation, second-class citizenship, discrimination, racism. Uh, Howard Plessy was pardoned uh, by the governor of Louisiana today. And there was a big symbolic, emotional kumbaya moment because Howard Plessy has been pardoned. He is no longer criminal. Now he died in 1925. So I don't know what that does for him, uh, but it's symbolic of what America loves to do. America loves to engage in kumbaya symbolism. Uh, and I kept thinking about, okay, what happened to Plessy on that train when he was taken off, guilty simply of being a black man sitting in what was deemed a white train car, he paid his fine and he was labeled a criminal until his death uh, in 1925. And of course, until uh, what happened with the governor of Louisiana uh, recently. But what is so unfortunate is that Plessy versus Ferguson unleashed so much damage when it came to uh, public policy in this country. So Plessy versus Ferguson made segregation and second class education okay. Uh, it unleashed public policy that created so much uh, in, in terms of second class citizenship in this country. So when you talk about airtight cages of poverty that King denounced, that was created by Plessy versus Ferguson. And so for me, it's not enough to simply say he's no longer a criminal. What are you going to do to undo all that Plessy versus Ferguson unleashed in this country? And that's what King would be about. Yeah, so uh, I think another thing that happens, of course, on uh, King's birthday is there is every year this, this question about, about, but haven't things improved? And haven't we made progress, right? And and so let's let's celebrate this progress. But uh, we we're going to have this conversation on Saturday, uh, the fifteenth. Uh, uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment. And it it grows out of uh, King's book. Where do we go from here? Uh, right. Chaos or community? And early in that book, he says something that I think is really important. He says that the in the language of his day, the Negro. Black people have taken seriously this concept of equality and the promise of it. Right. But the, the psychology of the white community has not been prepared for true equality. And uh, in fact, therefore, they want to celebrate improvement because improvement does not yet reach the place of equality. Right. And so, right. you know, uh, we're where instead the demand for uh, keeping, for cashing the check of, uh, of, of the promissory note of, of true equality uh, is made by the black community day in and day out, year in and year out, 
the white community tends to want to step back and say, but haven't we made progress? Uh, and, and, and so it, it seems to me that we would rather soothe our, con- our conscience mm-hmm. rather than raise our consciousness mm-hmm. about what the goal really ought to be. Yeah, 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 that, that, that's, that's on point. And again, it's a reflection of the fact that he suffers from this identity theft. And, and here's the interesting thing, and I don't negate you know, progress. I think that there are evidences that, you know, things are not as bad as they were uh, in 65. And yet I'm in conversation uh, a few weeks ago with uh, Bishop William Barber, and he made the statement. He said, do you know, given the voter suppression bills that have passed and become law uh, in Texas and North Carolina, Georgia, around the country said that, do you know that we have less protection of voting rights today than we did when LBJ signed the voting rights bill. And so it, it hit me that, okay, so we, we get excited about, and I love how you phrased it, improvement because we're not serious about equality, exactly. which is why equity becomes a bad word. Uh, and so unfortunately, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a sad reflection. It's an indicator that this country, which was, as far as I'm concerned, born in a hostile takeover, shaped by white male supremacy, has never really been serious about a democracy that's for all the people, by all the people. Right. It's, it's almost as if there's been an allergic reaction to that. Uh, and you refer to our uh, piece that's coming up, uh, on Saturday the 15th, which is ironically the actual birthday of Dr. King. Uh, and, and so our remix of his last book, 55 years ago, ironically, where do we go from here? Chaos, our community is where do we go from here? Community or oligarchy. And, and, right. and really oligarchy, which is what? Government for the few, by the few. Uh, That's right. Those at the top. Uh, that has been the story of America uh, in too many instances. When you look at the beginnings of this country, uh, I mean, unfortunately, uh, it was really for the upper crust white males uh, by the upper crust white males. It did not even include white women, uh, let alone uh, white peasants who were struggling, not to mention uh, the enslaved and those black up north. It, yep. it, it just didn't. And so it's all, it, it, it was born like that. And America has not been serious about really correcting that, because, again, I, I think what you said is, is, is it as long as we keep having the look of improvement. Right. We'll be OK. All right. So let's talk about uh, this language you brought up, and that is equity and equality, because I think people get confused about yeah. the terminology. Right. Uh, So equality is something that is constitutionally uh, ensured that we are all created equal and we therefore uh, have equal rights under the Constitution. And as you say, even though that those words are there, it took a long time for us to actually admit that that meant everybody. You know, that that really everybody was actually equal. That's actually been true, not just in America, but in our religious traditions as well. Right. As we've we've, right. we've wrestled with 
uh, with, with how to interpret that. And, you know, part of the whole uh, notion of, uh, uh, of the Christian faith, the original creed is that there is no longer uh, any Jew or Gentile, uh, right, slave right. or free, male or female, all are one, equal in, right. in Christ Jesus. So this is part of our faith tradition. But so we go from that, that basic equality and then, and then people jump over to the question of, well, does that mean equal outcomes? Equality means everybody is the same. And then there's that, you know, move all the way to, so what you really want is uh, a, a socialist system uh, that, that undermines our free enterprise and uh, human aspiration to, to work hard and succeed and all of that. But we skip this equity moment. That should mm-hmm. be in between, right? And and, wow. and I don't I don't think e- equality of outcome is the point of all of this as much as the Thank structural you. change right. of of equity. Now let's talk about what equity is, Fred. Right, right. And I really appreciate that because one of the things for me is equity is reflected and 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 with, with preachers, it's a gospel program. It's reflected, I think, in what uh, Zacchaeus did. Uh, when he basically, after his, you know, transformational encounter uh, right. with, you know, the living Christ, uh, he said, you know what, I've done some wrong. And so I need to engage in uh, reparative uh, efforts uh, because I've done people wrong. And so whoever I've done wrong, I'm going to not only pay them back, uh, which will bring them to a point of equality, but I'm going to repair damage that I've done. And I think right. that's what we're talking about when we're honest about equity. It's, it's, it's really recognizing, again, uh, I think that uh, the whole concept around Howard Plessy, as we alluded to earlier, uh, now he is no longer a criminal. Even though he's dead, he's been pardoned. But, but equity says, well, let's take an honest look at what has taken place as a result of Plessy versus Ferguson. There's an, a, a beautiful thing that has taken place uh, with the descendants of both uh, Plessy and Ferguson. And uh, they now have a foundation called Plessy and Ferguson, nice. which I think is a good thing yeah. uh, as opposed to Plessy versus Ferguson. Metaphorically speaking, Plessy and Ferguson says we're going to dig and find out just how much damage has been done as a result of that earlier piece. And so when we do that, uh, we and we, we set the stage for equity. We set the stage for structurally uh, rewiring a system that has often been disadvantaging those who are black, brown, impoverished, uh, right. Native Americans. Uh, we, you, you basically commit to redoing the structure. And when you redo the structure, you also repair damage that was done because of the structural uh, inequity and inequality that was a part of the birth of this country and the ongoing policies. Yeah, and I think people, if you need a little visual analogy for this, it's, uh, there are several that we could come up with, but one of them would be, you know, if, you, if you're running a hundred yard dash, and some Good. people are starting on the starting line and other right. people are starting uh, at the 40 yard mark, you know, exactly. uh, then, you know, this is this is not equity. Right. I love it. So, yeah. so you know, you then you run the race and and the person that starts on the 40 wins and you say, well, they they were faster. 
Well, you started at different places. So all, right. all we're trying to do is say with equity, let's get to a place where it actually is opportunistic for everyone in a reasonable way to succeed. And Thank you. it may not be precise, but structurally, we're getting to that question. And that involves education and it involves economic opportunity and it involves a job opportunity. It involves, you know, all sorts of things that uh, that we know structurally in our society have been deliberately designed to advantage some people and disadvantage others. Right. So, yeah, no question. Uh, uh, ironically, Commissioner Price sent this to me uh, last week, and it was interesting. He said that some seven to ten billion dollars uh, in contracts are negotiated by what DFW Airport, Parkland Hospital, uh, DISD, NTTA, DCCD, all again taxpayer money. And even though Black and Brown people make up sixty-two percent of the population in the county, uh, whites get ninety-five percent of the contracts. So. In a race, because I, I love your analogy, in a race, you know, you're not even starting necessarily at the 40. You're starting 60 yards down the road. And even if the gun goes off at the at gun goes off, we all leave the starting block at the same time. There's just no way you can blame me uh, for finishing 60 yards behind. Or even if you're faster, yards behind in the race. Even if you're faster and fitter and more capable, you have you have started so far behind. And this is right. also part of the problem generally in our society, where you you talked about Plessy versus Ferguson and uh, about the, the the legacy of Jim Crow and segregation, and and that is that structurally it it means that when we look at outcomes today and we recognize that the average net worth of a black American family right. is somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 13% of that of white Americans. Right. Well, that means that you have generational, one group has generational wealth to, yeah. to succeed and the other does not. And that is an enormous uh, outcome but it's not an outcome that is based upon initiative or upon hard work. It's, a, right. it's an outcome that's based upon this inequity that has been structurally created that we've been talking about that has to be addressed if, if things are going to change. So right. uh, let, let me ask you this then. Uh, th this gets into, again, part of King's book is wrestling with uh, the language of power and the black power movement that was very much oriented toward with Stokely Carmichael and others, uh, this, uh, th this idea that we have to move more into economic uh, yeah. matters that, you know, King is almost always uh, lauded for his human rights and civil rights, uh, uh, racial justice, sort of uh, emphasis, which was, of course, a large part of, of who he was and what he did. But it's probably not what actually got him killed. You know, it, when he started talking about money and economic right. justice right. And, and all of that, that's when the vitriol really came to the fore. That's when people said he was getting out of his lane. That's when, you know, uh, there was a lot of, of a backlash as a result of that. And the book talks about racism and white backlash. And we find ourselves not just back in the 60s with that, but, but we're there again. 
there's a lot of white backlash to uh, uh, to this notion that there should be economic justice uh, that is racially oriented as well. Right, right. I, I, and I think that, again, as long as we continue to uh, engage in uh, identity theft of King and making him convenient, we won't deal with those last three years. Uh, there's a powerful scene in the movie, uh, Selma, uh, when King and uh, Abernathy are in jail and King is, you know, real concerned. He basically remixes what Baldwin had said, uh, his fear that he had uh, integrated black people into a burning building uh, or a burning house, uh, he said. And I think that's something for us to be concerned about as we look at the big lie that resulted in uh, January 6th and then showed up and manifest itself in policies of voter suppression. But the other thing he said uh, while behind, behind, while in jail, he said, uh, you know, what is it to uh, integrate a lunch counter if you can't read the menu, speaking of education, and if you don't have enough money to buy a hamburger, uh, speaking of economics. Right. And that propelled him, ironically, uh, into his real focus in those last three years right. on economic justice uh, immediately after uh, the signing of the Voting Rights Bill of 1965. There's the explosion uh, in L.A., in Watts. He goes out to L.A. And that's when he is confronted by those who are impoverished, who feel like the community does not belong to us. And so why are you upset with us for saying burn, baby, burn? And then he goes to Chicago and lives in impoverished uh, apartments and and begins to put the spotlight on economic segregation, as it were. And so one of the things that, you know, again, if we're serious about King, uh, we, we have to take a real good look at what he talked about. I'm about to say something that we don't want to hear in a conversation about King. King critiqued capitalism so much so that he was calling for what he called a democratic socialism, uh, not going full heartedly with socialism, but understanding that there has to be a guaranteed income uh, in America, in a nation as wealthy as we are. There has to be. So when you talk about what uh, Bishop Barber and the Poor People's Campaign, uh, $15 an hour, King was even more radical, get radical than that. He was calling for a living wage. And let's be honest, very few people can live off of $15 an hour. And, and, yet, it's it's, and yet it's only what? $7.25 technically, right? You know, exactly. so I mean, it's, it's crazy. Okay. So, and you and I have been uh, in, in league with one another about this payday lending type thing. So you talk oh, about yeah. capitalism. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that these payday lenders do is they are in exploitive capitalism. So so what they're doing is now uh, not going into neighborhoods with the language that they want to use, which is to say that they are there to provide a service, to provide resources uh, for people who cannot go to a bank, and therefore they're there to provide capital uh, that other people would not provide. But instead, what you and I know, and we've worked on this, is, is that these companies, unregulated, 
uh, to a large extent, are able to charge extraordinary fees beyond normal interest rates, uh, and they have a dedicated business model to entrap people in right. poverty and to uh, to keep them in that way. And, and this is this is what we're talking about when we're talking about critiquing capitalism. That mm-hmm. if if we're if we're going to be a just society, we have to have people protected from exploitation in in uh, our capitalist system. No question, uh, because again, what liberty and justice for all, not liberty and capitalism for all. Because again, capitalism that is exploitative or uh, as we refer to the payday loan industry, predatory yeah. uh, is capital. It, it, it's capitalism. It's, it's, it's what one says, okay, that's free enterprise, but exactly. it's free enterprise that exploits. It's free enterprise that, that compounds po- impoverished circumstances. And again, if you're talking about Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther King Jr. would not be on the side of payday predators. Martin Luther King Jr. would not be on the side of a capitalism that exploits people. And again, that's why, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've so enjoyed about our relationship is we have refused to settle for what kumbaya, uh, let's preach for one another, have worship together. Oh, that's nice. That's real cool. But instead, we've said, no, let's unite in a fight against economic exploitation, against educational uh, injustice. Let's unite and use our uh, partnership to make a difference in the fight for justice. And as far as I'm concerned, that's Kingian at its best. Well, and we're going to do this again. This is what the fifth year that we're going to do this next. And it's uh, the MLK Teach-In. And uh, it's, it's hosted by Friendship West Baptist Church. It'll be virtual again this year. Right. And uh, you and I have done this. Who's going to be with us this year? Man, this year we're going to have uh, Brittany Patnick Cunningham. Mm-hmm. Of course, she's an activist uh, based out of St. Louis, mm-hmm. uh, who is right there on the front lines uh, during the uh, Ferguson uprising. Uh, her leadership was so crucial uh, that President Obama uh, appointed her to serve on his commission as uh, he was taking a look at policing uh, in this country. And so Brittany uh, will be with us and uh, one who has become a rising star, uh, especially uh, recently, uh, Jasmine Crockett, uh, State Representative Jasmine Crockett, who uh, with many Democratic representatives, they left uh, the state of Texas during the special session, uh, and even before that, the session, uh, the, the the regular session, uh, to to ensure that uh, the governor would not have his quorum uh, to pass voter suppression, and she became uh, one that many uh, were calling upon to articulate. Uh, not only the issues, but to uh, give an alternative vision of what this country should look like when it comes to voting rights. And so between uh, Brittany and Jasmine and you, I mean, it's going to be a powerful, uh, informative, engaging time uh, where we really have a teach in on, on the real Martin Luther King Jr. So this is the last question, but, you know, I think uh, you just listed who's going to be there and I'm in that group and I appreciate being part of it. And it's been a joy to do so year after year with you. 
but, you know, in King's book, uh, he does talk about uh, the conversation between uh, Stokely Carmichael and him and, you know, the different factions of, of, of whether, what role should white allies play in this struggle? And that's still, I think, an important question uh, that needs to be, uh, you know, answered in, in our time. And I think there are a lot of, uh, of, of white people who are well-meaning, who want to participate, who want to have a role, uh, but they don't really know exactly what their right way of going about that is. Uh, would, right. would, you, would you share some thoughts? You know, King argued that they should be involved uh, yes. and that this should be a, a model of how we go forward. But, but we do have a tendency uh, in our um, white history to, uh, to step in and to try to take over in just about everything we do. And so I, I, I think it's important to lay out some uh, guidelines about how we work together. And uh, we, we've been able to do that. What are your observations about that? How would you teach us, Freddie? Well, well again, I would uh, lift up George Mason as a motto. And I've said that behind your back uh, because I really mean that. Uh, and just looking at the Mason model, number one, uh, you've done a great job of educating yourself about the Black experience. One of the things that is often said in our community is that we know, because we have to, we know uh, white America. Uh, but white America doesn't always know black people, the black experience, but often arrogantly presupposes, you know, from the vantage point of whiteness, I know uh, black people. Therefore, I know the black experience. Therefore, I have the solution uh, to that experience. And so I think it takes a certain humility to educate oneself about the experience and, and learn from uh, those who are not afraid to be truth tellers in love. Uh, and so, you know, you have relationships that, you know, continue to blow my mind because it just reflects the fact that you have not been comfortable in right. the comfort zone of whiteness. And again, I'm not just saying that because you're here. I'm saying that because that's just the real deal. It takes a certain amount of humility uh, to bust out of one's comfort zone, learn from, listen to others, and learn from an experience that really is in many instances foreign because when I'm ahead, it's hard for me to know what's happening behind me. I think the second piece is uh, it's very important then to recognize that racism is never just being mean, simply being uh, mean to someone, calling them the N-word. But racism, and again, that is racist. It's no doubt about it. Uh, but at the same time, it's when that is structured, when it becomes a part of systems, that wow. it is most damaging. And so uh, Eddie Glaude Jr. talks about the culture of white supremacy in the nation. It's, and, and, and we all know that in any organization, uh, one writer said that culture is going to trump I uh, hate to use that word, but it's going to trump vision all the time. And so you can have a great vision, but if you have a culture that mitigates against that, the sad reality is that culture is going to win every time. And so we've got to, in this country, 
take a good look at a culture, a system, a structure. And so as white allies, white allies who often benefit and are privileged by these structures must also interrogate those structures, interrogate their privilege within the context of those structures, and then use that privilege to be bold enough to say, okay, in some instances, we've got to dismantle this because there's no way we're going to have equity, let alone equality, as long as the structure remains what the structure has been. And I guess the final piece I'll say is uh, that it's so important that whites confront whites about racism. Uh, It's one thing for me to do it. It's another thing for, you know, someone who is, again, a part of uh, that culture, that upbringing. It's it's, it's quite another thing uh, for whites to do it. And so I think that we, when we are all doing our part, we better service allies in dismantling a white supremacy and 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 making a difference. And so I, I salute you because you do it. I know others who are engaged in doing it. Yep. And those are the models that we need to lift up because uh, I've discovered and 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 the Black Lives Matter movement has shown us this. And that is we don't always have to be out front to be impactful. Uh, uh, we can be out front. We can we can even lead from behind, Mm -hmm. Uh, but all of us have a responsibility and it really takes a certain amount of humility to say, I don't have to run it in order for it to be effective and successful. Well, it's a joy to be in this with you. Struggle or not, it's uh, it's God's work and it's good work. It's God's work and it's good work. I love that. And, and that's why we call this Good God. And uh, yeah, so, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Frederick Haynes III. It's great to have you with us and to continue this good work together. And uh, we'll uh, see you on Saturday. I can't wait. Saturday the 17th at 10 o'clock. George Mason in the house. Saturday the 15th. That's right. Saturday the 15th. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, George Mason. And again, George has been doing this from the inception. So George is the one who's been doing it for five years. We're bringing on everybody else now. Uh, But George has been with us from jump. And George Mason. All right. Thank you so much. And we'll uh, see you then. Thank you. God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2022 by Faith Commons.